All right, before we get more into our text, I wanted to start off, uh, for those of you who don't know me, by the way, I'm Chris, uh, campus pastor here, welcome. Uh, I want to, any kids who want to come up, we got a, we got a little uh, activity we want to do to get started, and this is a, Isaac, I can't tell, are you excited? Did you want you to, you get to go up on the stage, you want to come up on the stage? Go, go, go. All right, oh yeah, whoever wants to come up can come up. And so here's what I'm going to do. So the, the purpose of this, have you guys ever played like Simon Says? Yeah. Okay, so it's kind of like that, except I'm not going to say Simon Says or Chris Says or anything like that. Did I'm you say, um, Pastor Says? <laughs> do you think that actually works? Like if I, would that work on y'all? If I just said Pastor Says? <laughs> so you get, man, he's got the best ideas. All right, so what I'm going to do is I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say some sort of an activity or, or a, a motion or a face or to say something, and then I want you to say it. But I want you to be able to look at each other to say it too and, or to, to see what you're doing, okay? So the first thing I want you to do is make a scary face. What do you mean scary? Like we're scared or trying to scare someone? You're trying to scare someone else. Make a scary face. All right, look at everybody. Look, see how you guys are reacting. Okay, what do you guys say? It's scary? <laughs> really, really scary. Okay, pose as a statue. Pose as a statue. <laughs> what is the statue doing? Okay, we got some, we got some like dabbing and, and stuff like that. We got champion, we got Rocky here. All right, okay, so I'm going to ask you in a second to yell out a three-letter word. So think of a three-letter word. Think of it. One, two, three. <laughs> I heard multiple cats. Do you guys hear multiple cats? I think there's lots of cats in that one. Okay. On the count of three, your favorite color. One, two, three. <laughs> Purple and pink? So we got, we got multiples. Is it all the colors? Does that, that's a pretty good color to be your favorite color. Got all your bases. Okay. Make a shape with your body. Make some sort of a shape, like a circle or square or a dot. Okay, so we have... <laughs> nice! All right, we have another, we have multiple triangles here. Okay, finally, make a... Are you guys ready? Make a funny face. Anybody want to take a picture? Funny face. These are <laughs> okay. Thank you very much. Can we give our our, our these? You guys did a fantastic job. Thank you, thank you, thank you. So when when we ask people to do stuff, it's it's just that it's asking, right? We're we're asking them to participate or to respond in a certain way. And what we're doing then is putting the ball in their court. So they have a choice at that point. Right there, I was, I guess, using pastor power. So they all responded well and just did what I asked. But it's not always going to work like that. People are going to decide whether or not they're going to respond at all. And if they do, what that response will be. Sometimes what we ask people to do is very important. I can think of a parent or a, a parent to a child, or a friend to a friend, or, or whomever, will ask somebody to do something that we think is, is very important because we think it's for their best, something to, to help them out. But it doesn't always work out that way. People don't always listen. 
But Paul shows us something really, really special in that story today, something that uh, we can take to heart, keep as an encouragement. And this is our big idea. This is something that we want to know about God, the, the, the person that we've come here to worship tonight as a community, and that's God uses a faithful presence to change lives. This is a, this is a truth. This is something that God does. He uses a faithful presence to change lives. In our passage tonight that was so eloquently read by Sir Isaac, we have the Apostle Paul. And for those of you who don't know what an apostle is, essentially it's a person who has the gift of being a visionary leader. It's a very simple way of putting it, but it's, a, it's an easier way that I've found to look at it. And he's come to Athens in Greece, and he's speaking to a Greek audience who don't know anything about what he believes. They're, they're clueless, as it were. But it's important for Paul to know. He, in fact, has been called by God to make sure that people know what it is he's talking about. So Paul faithfully engaged with this community. His presence and willingness to tell them about God called them to have to make a decision. These people had to decide what they were going to do with him. They could either work against him, they could ignore him altogether, or they could join him. That was their choices. So we're going to be pulling out a few principles. We're not going to go back and go verse by verse through that just for time's sake. But we're going to pull out a few principles that we can learn from this text that can help us be a faithful presence for Jesus' sake. And the four things are Paul didn't have to live there to faithfully serve the people in it. It's principle number one. There's actually tons of principles we can pull out of this, but I'm just choosing four. So that's the first one. The second one is Paul engaged faithfully. Third, Paul faithfully understood the context. And then finally, Paul's faithful presence was built on a confident faith. So starting back from the beginning, Paul didn't have to live there to faithfully serve the people in it. So our story happened uh, in what's known as Paul's second big journey, or what I'm calling his second big journey, where he visited, he left from Antioch, and he went to Cilicia, Lycona, Galatia, Troas, Philippi, Thessalonica, Berea, Athens, where he is now, and then finally Corinth. And at this point in his life, he'd been a believer in Jesus for about 15 years, about 15 years. And during this trip, Paul did a ton of stuff. He planted churches. Uh, he spoke in synagogues and other public places, like in our story. He, was, he ended up in prison. He was beaten. And all the while, Paul was impacting lives. No matter where he was, what he was doing, he was impacting lives. But he lived in Antioch. That, that was his home, Antioch. It's located in Turkey. They call it Antakya. Now, uh, Sarah and I uh, stayed there a few years ago when we were on a mission trip to Turkey. It was rad. We had, uh, it was such a neat experience. And we even got to visit an ancient church that was carved into the side of a mountain while we were there. And most people believe that uh, Paul would have visited there, that that actually would have been his home church, the one that would have sent him out, this incredible church carved out of the sides of a mountain. We, we sung the, uh, what's it called? That, you know that thing that Christians sing at the, in like meetings and stuff? The doxology. We sang the doxology in it and it was beautiful. It uh, had this incredible, the, the, off the rocks and the walls and stuff like that. The, it was in, the acoustics were amazing. But anyway, so that was Paul's home church. So even though hundreds and hundreds of kilometers away, as he's serving and going on these great, great trips, Paul was faithfully sharing his faith and serving the people that he 
encountered there. See, we have a, we have a woman, if, as you came in, you, you might have noticed that our box, this is the, the, I can't remember what it's called, stuff a stocking, uh, stuff a stocking, warm a heart. And this is the, the Christmas project that we as a campus here are wanting to encourage people in our community with. And the, the woman who does that, she uh, this year has started to expand her thing and she's gone into Chilliwack now. So she's going into to Chilliwack, she's here, she's in mission, she's all over the place trying to, to help people and to serve them well, even though she doesn't live there. So many people here tonight have driven many, many minutes, you know, they're, they're a good 40 plus minutes from home to come here to be part of a community as we seek to worship and serve our good God together and dream with all of us on how we can serve this community the best way that we can. See, no matter where we are, home or away, we can faithfully serve God and we can love others well. But it does, it takes intentionality, doesn't it? So that's our second one. Paul engaged faithfully. And I'm kind of cheating a bit because we started in verse 22, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to back the truck up to, to verse 17. And the writer of the book, Luke, he tells us that he went daily to the public square, that each day he went and got out in the open and talked to people. If you want to see something happen in your life, being in the right spot as often as possible, putting yourself out there, it, it helps a lot if you want to see things happen. If you, if you want to see what you want accomplished, accomplished, you want to get out there. Uh, does anyone here like dogs? Anybody, uh, anybody a dog person here? I love dogs. You love dogs. I super love dogs. Yeah. I like cats and dogs. You like cats and dogs? I love my puppy. His name is Cosmo and he's a Cosmo is a cute name. I know another guy with a cut name, dog named Cosmo. You don't like Cosmo, do you? No. No, she, she does now. No, no, my dad. Oh, dad. So Juliet likes Cosmo. Julianne doesn't like Cosmo. You've been outed. Dog hater. But anyway, I, I grew up with a dog named... <laughs> You're being punished now, dog style. Uh, I grew up with a little dog named Dusty little dog named Dusty, and he was this gray uh, purebred poodle, and he was the, I know everyone laughs when I talk about poodle, but he was the best. Him and I were best buds. He, he always knew when I was sad, and he would always, he would come, and he would cheer me up, and we, we would go for walks, and we'd have little adventures, and wrestle around, and I always wished that he would sleep with me in my bed at the end of the night. I always wanted him to come in under the covers, except when he had fleas, and I have... I have some bad memories, my friends, of when he had fleas and would yet sleep in my bed because then I had fleas. It was nasty. But anyway, Dusty liked treats. Does anybody else know a dog who likes treats? Cosmo. Cosmo. Back to Cosmo, right? <laughs> Julian knows about it. Drains his bank account, that dog. Always with the treats. But anyway, Dusty, he loved treats. I know that's it's surprising. <clears throat> so whenever I would walk near the place where the treats were, Dusty just always amazingly, miraculously happened to be there at that exact point in time too. It was, it was bizarre, right? Like this timing that he would have. See, Dusty, he kind of had a one-track mind, right? He, he wanted treats that pretty much all the time. So whenever there was an opportunity to get treats, whenever I was by the treat place, he would show up 
with this hope in mind that this was going to be treat place. Because sometimes it was treat time, sometimes it wasn't. But in his mind, there was always a shot that because I was there, he was going to get something, right? That material, or opportunity was going to materialize. See, it was because Paul went out daily, every single day, that he got so many opportunities. See, I used to think it was just people who lived charmed lives that got to have all, you know, you, you meet people and, and they always have these really cool stories about all these cool things that interesting things that they've done. I used to think it was just all these people just have a charmed life, but it turns out that if you put yourself into interesting circumstances consistently, interesting things happen. See, Paul went daily and he would put himself intentionally into conversations that had the potential for interesting things to happen. And he, and he met some philosophers right before our story who thought that what he was saying was worth bringing to the place he would speak. It's called the Areopagus or Mars Hill. They thought it was interesting. And this was the place. Like he would have been so excited that he got invited to come to this place because the who's who of idea peddlers were all going to be in this spot. So Paul was going to get to talk about his faith in front of all of the important people. So this is a huge deal. So Paul went out daily to engage with people because of that faithfulness, good things happen. But someone might say, shouldn't, shouldn't he just have left the people alone though? Like some, some might argue like that's, they had their own things going on. You read about all of the different gods that they believed in. Why does Paul need to push his faith on other people? You might say, or better yet, Chris, you seem to be insinuating that other people should be doing this too, confirm or deny. See, listen, Paul believed that he possessed knowledge of infinite value, that it was important. When you think of what your faith means to you, your faith in Jesus, when you think of that faith, has it impacted your life? Has it impacted your life in a way that makes you think that it can impact someone else's life too? So you want to tell them. It's what we do when we have that feeling. If it's a big deal to us, perhaps it's going to be a big deal to someone else as well. So we want to share what we've learned. To, to quote SpongeBob, uh, Mr. SquarePants, well, it's no secret that the best thing about a secret is secretly telling someone your secret, thereby secretly adding another secret to their secret collection of secret, S secretly. <laughs> so for, for me, that, I uh, know, see? Spurgeon, eat your heart out. So from day one, Christianity has always been a faith community that believes Jesus wants to make people's lives better and make them better at life. Jesus wants to make us better at life. Why? So that we can know and worship cre our creator with as little drama in the way as possible. That's why Jesus wants us to be better at life. See, life is going to be tough enough on its own. Life is going to be tough enough on its own. It doesn't need us helping that toughness, making dysfunctional decisions. And trust me when I say that I have sat on the throne as king of making dysfunctional decisions. And I'm sure glad that Jesus has, I mean, he hasn't taken it all the way. Anybody who knows me still knows I can make a dysfunctional decision or two. He hasn't, he hasn't taken it all the way. 
but it's sure a lot better now than it used to be. So faithfully talking to people, though, I think we would ad admit that that's not enough. We need to actually know who we're talking to. We need to know stuff about them, right, to, to help get this across. So number three, Paul faithfully understood the context. So there's a couple of things that show us Paul knew his surroundings. First thing that we know is he understood how to communicate with the people in a way that they would understand. He knew the language, right? This is in Greek. Paul knew Greek. Most people in this area of the world would have an understanding of Greek after Alexander came through and, and what's called Hellenized the area, but he, he Greeked it up. That's what that means. And so they would know Greek, but he also knew the culture. He knew the things that they talked about so that it made his message all the more understandable. Because if you don't, if you don't know the language, if you don't know the culture, bad things can happen. So like when I wanted to ask Sarah to marry me and I wanted to get her dad's permission and her dad speaks French and pretty much nothing but French. And so I, I messaged her brother who I assumed spoke more French than not. And I asked him if he would help me write out a message, but I didn't know French. So I Google translated it. If anybody, yeah, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Anybody who knows French and can read like any packaging knows that Google Translate doesn't work very well. So anyway, he responded to me in English, never do that again. <laughs> it's nonsense, <laughs> which is, is truth. Or listen to these folks who are in charge. They are part of companies moving into different parts of the world and they're wanting to hawk their wares. They're wanting to sell stuff and advertise it. And they got into a little bit of hot water. Okay, so Braniff, they had to do with planes and stuff like that. They were trying to brag about the upholstery in their planes. And they, their slogan was fly in leather. But it came out in Spanish as fly naked. <laughs> or the Chevy Nova as they are trying to move into Spanish-speaking countries, anybody who knows a little bit of Spanish knows that no va means doesn't go. So they're trying to sell a car that doesn't go. Okay, so Pepsi and Coke, they both were trying to come into to China. Uh, and so Pepsi at that point had a slogan, Pepsi brings you back to life. It's, it's refreshing, right? And, and they tried to translate it literally. And the slogan in Chinese actually meant, Pepsi brings your ancestors back from the grave. <laughs> so, so Coke, not to be outdone, they wanted to, they're like, okay, we're just, gonna, we're just gonna say it in Chinese so it sounds like Coca-Cola. So whatever sounds like Coca-Cola, we use those characters. But it turns out what it actually said was, bite the wax tadpole. <laughs> So eventually they switched it up to characters that read happiness in the mouth. So that's, that's Coke. Finally, there's a hair products company, Clairol, and wanted to introduce the mist stick in Germany. But mist in German evidently is slang for manure. <laughs> for manure. So not too many people had too much use for the poop stick. The poop stick. See, as you can see, if, if someone doesn't do their homework, these kind of things can go poorly, right? There's lots, of, there's lots of cultural faux pas that we can make. That was French. But, 
But Paul was already speaking to the philosophers, right? Paul had already had his message understood. He, he was saying things in a way that they got. And they invited him so much so he was speaking so well that they invited him to the place, right? That the place they wanted to discuss ideas. And once there, he didn't hesitate to show them that he understood their culture. In verse 28, he says, for in him we live and move and have our being. Now, it sounds, it sounds biblical, but he's not quoting the Bible there. What he's doing is quoting a guy named Epimenides. Epimenides. He was a, a Crete or Cretan writer. And then Paul continues, still in verse 28, and he says, even or as even some of your own poets have said, for we are indeed his offspring. See, it sounds like we are the children of God. And, and he's not, again, quoting from the Bible. He's quoting a guy named Erastasis or Erastasis. Aratus's poem, Phenomena. Sorry, my uh, pronunciation skills are a little off tonight. See, Paul was quoting their poets. Paul was quoting their writers. He was using their culture to be able to come in and to tell them biblical truths. He wasn't quoting the Bible to them, though. Why? Because if you were to come to me and say, Chris, the Bible says this, well, the Bible has authority in my life. I, I understand that. But for a person who has no idea even what a Bible is, it, they, they might say, well, I, why, why does that have authority? They may agree with the truths, and this is exactly what Paul's doing, is he's putting things in a way that they understand, using biblical truths to make biblical points. He's just not quoting the Bible to do it. See, Paul wants to use language and examples that resonate with who he's talking to. And if you read through the book of Acts, it's amazing. You can see how he changes his approach with each different community that he goes to, whether he's talking to a Jewish community or whether he's talking to a Greek community. But his principles always stay the same. <clears throat> always stay the same. See, another way we know that he knew his way around was because he's already pointed out the altar to the unknown God. See, he was using their idolatry, something called idolatry, as a means of showing them God. So, so what's, what's idolatry? So idolatry is essentially worship, worshiping anything else in the place of God. And the close connection in the ancient world between idols and gods, it carried the assumption that the gods were actually manifesting themselves in whatever it was. So an altar, uh, a little figurine, something like that, that the God was actually in it. So when they worshiped it, they were actually worshiping the other God. So if people believed that and they worshiped it, then they would call that idolatry. But Paul claims that it's actually illogical. It's illogical to suppose that humans can find their safety and significance by creating the gods who are supposed to give them meaning in the first place. And in other words, what he's saying is, guys, if you were to create, say this is this podium, if I were to create this podium with my own hands, how does it make sense to worship it as creator? Do you understand what I'm getting at? Like, so he's saying, if you, if you make something, and then worship it as the creator, you're, you're kind of putting the cart before the horse, right? It couldn't possibly have created you if you created it. But nevertheless, as Paul's engaging with these people, they were confident in their faith, in their system. So if you've ever encountered somebody who believes something different than you and they believe it really, really hard, right? They're really confident. That can be unnerving sometimes, can't it? Because you're, you're thinking, well, well, maybe I'm wrong then. So 
Paul, though, he didn't seem to be wavered by this whatsoever. And so that leads us to our fourth point. Paul's faith, faithful presence, was built on a confident faith. It was built on a confident faith. See, you'll notice as, as he goes through, when you read through Paul's uh, conversation with them, his, the content of his message, it never wavers. As you go through all of the ways he talks to people, the content is always the same. Just he adjusts how he says it to help his audience be able to understand it the best way that he can. See, I, I don't have a, or sorry, I have an old friend who I, I've kind of lost touch with, but I see him on Facebook every now and then. And, and recently he's taken up the hobby of, uh, he's got a metal detector. And so he's essentially become a treasure hunter. And, and at first when I saw that, I, I laughed until I started to notice him sharing, like the dudes found like thousands of dollars worth of stuff. Like, like he goes off in places with, and finds rings and, and all of this. So I'm like, babe, I know what I want for Christmas, right? Like... <laughs> But there's something mysterious and exciting about treasure hunting, right? It's just penning for gold, yeah, you know, 49ers or whatever it is, hunting for treasure. And, and stories like this one I'm about to read, they, they don't help, or, or they do help, sorry. So there's this couple down in the States, and they own this piece of property uh, somewhere in New Mexico, I think, called Saddle Ridge. And they're out one night, and they're walking their dog in Saddle Ridge, and they notice this little piece of a, a rusty can sticking out of the ground, and they're like, oh. So they start to dig it up, and they find this old tin can, and they, they pick it up, they don't open it, it's sealed, and they start to walk it home, but they're thinking, man, this thing is super heavy. Like, there, there must be lead or something like that in it. And as they're going, it was so heavy and so old and rusted, it actually split the top, and all of a sudden they notice something glistening inside of it. There's gold coins. And so they were like, hokey dinah we just struck gold like literally we have a can full of gold coins and so they went back to that place and they found seven more they found eight in total of these tin cans with gold coins in them there ended up being 14 <clears throat> 1411 of them in it uh, with a face value like just what it said on the coin of twenty seven thousand nine hundred and eighty dollars but the actual value would have been well over $10 million. And so this is my favorite part. They took their eight cans and then they put them in an ice chest and then buried them under a wood pile to keep them safe. I was like, yes. I didn't see that part of the story coming, but it was awesome. And no one knows to this day where they, like who buried them, where they came from. These people just now have this treasure. See, in verse 27, Paul says that his, he says God's purpose in creating everything and in creating people as he did was for the nations, for all people to seek after him and perhaps feel their way towards him and find him. But he, he, he says that though God is not far from any one of us. God is not far from any one of us. Remember, Paul is telling them that this is the God who they have been looking for. Remember the altar to the unknown God? Friends, this is the God that you have been looking for. They just didn't know his name or anything about him. And Paul is so confident in this message that he consistently risks his life to make sure other people know it. See, people all around us here, are desperately searching for God, for meaning and purpose in their life that actually fulfills them. They're searching for that. And the same beautiful 
world all around us draws them. As they seek for relationships that quench that thirst of loneliness. See, people are feeling their way towards God, but often they don't find him. Yet he hides in plain sight. The same, this beautiful world that so many people want to worship, the trees and, and the mountains, they in fact point to the one who created it in the first place. It's, it's his beauty that we are lavished with each and every day. Having those clear skies at night recently been nice, that orange, man. See, this God who doesn't live in temples or in trees or in something made from silver or gold by human hands, instead, he has reached out to us in the form of his son who announced a life in a kingdom better than any of us could ever imagine. See, that treasure is there for the discovering. And if we want, we can faithfully show others the way. We, we can be treasure guides. Can you tell me what the treasure is so I can get it? It's, it's Jesus. The, the treasure's Jesus. Oh, Jesus, I thought you said it's Cheese strings are a treasure. I, I, won't, I won't deny that. But Jesus is the greater cheese strings. So, and just... <laughs> Let's get back on the road. <laughs> so we can be these treasure guides. We can offer cheese strings. It's okay. As we guide Jesus, people to Jesus. And just so we know... That it does, this does accomplish incredible things. We read, or Isaac read to us tonight, that some did join Paul and became believers. Many people, in fact, because God used Paul's faithful presence to change lives. Let's pray. Lord, you are awesome. And it's just such a privilege to be here and to worship you in community and to know that you're with us and that all that we're doing as a community to try to love you, to try to love one another well, and then to try to reach out in our community. This is something that, that you're in on, that you are empowering us to be able to, you've already empowered us to be able to do. And so, Lord, as we think about what it means to be a faithful presence in this community, in our community here, Lord, give us vision, we ask. Give us opportunity. Give us passion and motivation to be putting ourselves out there into interesting circumstances so that we can consistently have interesting stories, that we can have an incredible time, an incredible witness of your glory so people will not see us as individuals, but they will see your church that exists to proclaim your name and to show people that they matter because you created them in his, in, sorry, in your image. Thank you, Lord, for all of this and, and we lift this all, all in your powerful name. Amen.